This episode is brought to you by Eagle Masonry and Insulation, North Alabama's premier masonry and insulation provider. You brick and insulate your house at the same time, so why not use a contractor that can accomplish these two tasks and reduce your time spent scheduling, paying, and managing trades? Eagle offers the following masonry services, block, brick, stone, outdoor living, and pavers, as well as state-of-the-art insulation services from traditional fiberglass bats to blown-in blanket systems and spray foam. Eagle will provide these services turnkey, which means they will provide all the materials and labor, thereby eliminating your risk of breakage and theft. Call 256-755-1556 today for your free quote. Do you want a lawn that is healthy, looks good, and is environmentally friendly? Then try EnviroGreen. EnviroGreen is a locally owned and operated landscaping service that seeks to provide all of these things with professional touch. All of EnviroGreen's technicians are highly trained, and every client receives a unique program specially tailored to what they want out of their grass, trees, and shrubs. EnviroGreen's products are bio-based, environmentally conscious, and packed with nutrients that promote healthy growth and eradicate weeds. Call 334 334- 319-7603 or visit envirogreen.com to learn more about Envirogreen's programs and services. Envirogreen, where the grass is always greener. episode 28 here to bring you the latest and greatest in sports from two of the greatest minds in the business (laughs) yeah i nearly spit out my water yeah i know i know so uh just go ahead and hit the ground running here ethan has just now seen this a couple days late i only just saw it monday but i want to talk about it ethan has just seen the atlanta braves uh, losing to the phillies off of a what i believe is a bad call uh, Philly's runner was called safe, and then after review, it was upheld. The ruling was upheld. He was still ruled safe, and I don't think he ever came close to touching the bag. I mean, do you? What do you think? I mean, you kind of were a little bit on the fence there. Yeah. If you like, from, from the angle from, from, behind from, the ump. From the angle behind, from what I saw in the video, which I like literally just watched ten minutes ago. From the angle I saw from behind the ump, it seemed as though his foot did not touch home plate. That's what it looked like to so, me. I mean, prompting a video review of the call, which you know came at a very crucial time, obviously at extra innings, but or no, in the ninth inning because they played ninth inning, nine innings, and in mm-hmm. I believe it was the tenth inning, right? It was extras. No, so. it was the ninth. It was the ninth inning. Yeah, top of the ninth. Okay. And yeah. uh, I was thinking extra innings because some teams only play seven, and I'm thinking high school for some reason. I don't know. No, well, but, yeah, I think they played seven last year for doubleheaders. Oh, to catch up, that was just kind was, of like maybe go faster. It was in the ninth inning, yeah. top of the ninth. So obviously that puts, I think it put Philly ahead. We put them ahead seven to six, and one. Uh, and they held on to win the game. Yeah. So it kind of turned the course. I don't know. I from what I saw from the angle behind the ump, it did not seem as though his foot touched home plate. Which in the heat of the moment, if you're looking at you're trying to have out of your peripheral, okay, when does the catcher tag the runner? And then out of your right peripheral, you're trying to focus on when does the runner's foot touch home plate, and then you kind of try to make an estimate of what came first in your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I was. It just kind of seems as though maybe he was focused more on the tag because that was going to happen first, and not on whether or not the runner's foot touched home plate. But then that's why you go to video review, right? Right, and then if you have video review and you see clear 
indisputable evidence that the tag came first, that he didn't reach the bag, and you don't overturn the call, then why even have video review, in my opinion? I, I, I don't know. That just brings me to a larger thing. Because for every time that you have a play like this, you also have a play where things go right, his foot touches the bag, but he also gets tagged, so it's a matter of, okay, what came first, the tag or the bag? Yeah, and I think the tag came first, but... I mean, I just think I think it points to, in my opinion, there's a larger thing going on here in sports where I think I think there's an officiating problem. I really do. I think I think that the umpires, and especially in baseball, because baseball is a weirdly political sport, actually. Yeah, and, I've noticed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, just I just mean that I don't mean that like political opinions as far as like national politics. I mean like they play politics down there, and it's like it's just not it's it's not an impartial environment, and I think that. The umpires went into this review and they saw that they were wrong, but they were unwilling to admit that they were wrong. And I think this is a problem that isn't just limited to baseball. I think you also see it in the NFL. You had, I believe, two seasons ago now where they instituted a rule that was like pass interferences can be challenged, challenged and reviewed. And you know how many times they went and reviewed something to see if it was pass interference and said that it wasn't? And, and, like, and it upheld the ruling, said no, there was no pass interference, even though there clearly was 98% of the time. Why? When you can clearly see video evidence that it is that something is the case, or that the ruling that you made on the field is incorrect, and then you don't change it, and I think that's I think it's I think it's an ego thing. I think it's maybe there's I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. Maybe there's something we're missing, and there's a rule, and based on what they're seeing in slow motion or on a on a replay, they're like I don't know. I mean, when you see that everybody who's watching the game on TV can see that. The ruling is wrong and should be well, overturned. Everybody watching the TV and the game is usually biased towards one team or the other. Even neutral fans. I'm not a Braves fan by any measure. And I think that call should have been overturned. I think that the tag came first. And Do we know? I mean, I wasn't watching the game, so I don't know what angle they were looking at. But the angle they were looking above, at all of them, man. The angle above the... The initial slide is that is, you're looking at him from the left side, so you see his left foot slide. And if you look at that angle, even the announcers on that angle were saying, yeah, I think his foot touches. Now then, whether or not he's safe from there, because what comes first, touch of the bag or touch of the, the ball. Well, touching or, the bag can't come first because he never did touch the bag. Well, but I'm <laughs> saying, but if you're thinking that he's safe, then you have to look at does he get tagged before he touches the bag. And he does. Okay. I don't know. Just, I thought it was pretty. Does the catcher have possession of the of the baseball to tag him before he touches the bag? And maybe that's what they were looking at, and they weren't concerned about. I don't know. I think it was pretty clear that he had the ball because I mean it was a really good throw from left field. He kind of bobbled it. Yeah, I thought he had it, and I don't know. I just I think that there's a larger issue, and I I, I think that. So you think it's an Philly's, ego thing? You think refs are just out there to get paid and say that this is well? My I think call. that there's nobody that holds them accountable or anything like that. So they just do whatever they want. They because I think most of them know that they can make whatever call they so desire, and nothing is going to happen to them for the most part. Maybe. I mean, you think maybe, about it. Maybe also those refs don't get invited to big games. Maybe they just start calling the little games. Maybe, but I mean, so far, there aren't I mean really, where are they in the MLB season? Does this game really decide anything? No. It actually really can because the Phillies and Braves are divisional opponents, and when it I mean, there's obviously a lot of games. And I heard an interesting point about this: is like, well, I don't really like the whole well. There's 162 games argument because those games against your divisional opponents matter, and you only have so many games against those guys. So what if it comes down to after 162 games? 
the Phillies win by one game, and it's because of that. And that that outcome swung, that call swung the outcome of that game, and they ended up winning, and they ended up winning the division by one game, which of course is not very likely. But it's I'd still agree with the principle there that it's important, and and of course maybe where were they playing? They were playing uh, in Atlanta. Oh. Yeah. Um, so. So if you want to argue a political and undermining bias. No, I don't. Could you say that because of what's going I don't on think in Georgia any, right I don't now think that they felt like they to needed to that. slight Georgia because. No, I think that's a little bit too. I think that's a little bit too far fetched in my opinion. I think it's. I think it's just. Oh well, you know, I'm a baseball umpire in the major leagues, and. See, I don't, I don't see want it to admit that. I, see, I think I, there are I people see it like as. It is a tough call to make, and sometimes they don't always get it right. Now, I will but say... But so then why have video review? Because I thought video review was so that you could get it right. If you well, get it right I don't on the know field. what angle they're looking at. They're looking at all of them. They're looking at every angle that every camera in the building can get them. So then why, why would they call it safe? I don't know. I, I think because they don't want to admit that they're wrong and overturn a call that they made on the field. And I think it's the same way, and that's why I think it's I think it's something that is across sports because I think NFL refs are the same Has way. Has this happened in other places? I don't know recently, but yeah, all the time. Where you have it's happened, it's been happening for years in every sport where you go into video review, and even though you can see what seems to be indisputable evidence for something, that no change is made. So it's what is the point of having video review if you're not going to make a change when you see that you're wrong? Because I thought that was the point of it. Well, then maybe maybe the MLB front office or the refs association or whatever it is I don't is, know what is now talking to those there. three or four guys and saying, look, dude, Maybe they are, up. but, I mean, maybe they're not. I don't know. Those guys are probably know. still going to be officiating. And then you look in the NFL where they had the pass interference rule in all but, I think, two times in the entire season. When they were reviewing pass interference, they would go ahead and say, okay, yeah, that was pass interference. They would just say no, even when it was obvious that – the receiver was just getting tackled. Do you have an example of that? This is there's a biased example here, but the Houston Texans, DeAndre Hopkins was they were, uh, they were playing the Baltimore Ravens, and it would have been a touchdown had he been able to catch the ball, had he not been interfered with, and it was very obvious. His Ravens, Ravens safety's hands were all over him. He was dragging him down before the ball even got there, and they went into review and showed that he was being dragged down, and the refs came out and said no. Is there a rule in the NFL that the offhand that is not trying to deflect the ball can be wrapped around the player? You can't interfere with them at all, usually. Was DeAndre Hopkins' momentum already heading downwards, or was he running out of control? I don't know. I'll have to go find a video right here now. I mean, Because it seems to me, at least in, in the football case, that calls are made in a few different fashions, and as we watch this video, I will decide whether or not this is pass interference. So we're we're watching the video here, of DeAndre Hopkins. So let's see. He's pull. He's holding him back. Nah, he's just kind of a little tab on him. That's not nope. bad. Comes up underneath. Can't do that. You can't do that. Can. See, I I just think that that's a, a good play made on the ball myself. I don't think it is. And it he's also dragging depends, him down. And, and going back to my original point, it also depends on how other calls are being made in the game. Is there are there are, have they been chippy the whole game? Have they been calling it pretty tight the whole game? Because I will say, depending on who's refing the game, you're either going to get every call or you're going to see, like, it takes murder for them to blow their whistle. So then they consistently, even when presented with contrary evidence, decide to uphold their incorrect call almost universally? I mean, if that's the way the game has been going, they're just letting them play it and they're just going to let them play. Why no, make I that, think why, it's... Why make that call after a video challenge review when you have missed several others? Because it's the correct call. 
Maybe they don't see it like that. Maybe they see. Yeah, it they as, don't because they don't want to admit that they were wrong, and they didn't. And the and the refs didn't like having that rule forced on them because before that they didn't have to do that, and then they completely blew probably the most obvious so pass interference call of all time. Well, it, that one was pretty bad, but maybe it's not a matter of admitting they're wrong. Maybe it's a matter of spiting the rule and not wanting to comply with it, so we're just not going to call it. Right. That's the same. That's I think that's the same thing that I'm saying. It's that they don't like the rule, so they're not going to admit that they were wrong. Because there is no way to hold them accountable, they can just they can literally do you whatever can fire they like. People, it's a job. They don't do that though. Yeah, guys still like come back, and, and you know maybe they're willing to get fired for it just because I don't know. I I think they're egomaniacs, but whatever. Well, that, what, I what I don't like is is I don't like the I do like it, but I don't like it. I I I do like the. Gene Stitchator or whatever his name is, guy on CBS, when they ask him, "Hey, is this a good call or what do you see?" And he's the guy from the video board looking at it. And I do think and we, he I seems think to give a pretty honest and, and unbiased opinion of what's going on. And then, and I think that brings up something that interesting. Interestingly enough, I feel like college officials are better than professional officials. I feel like they go into and they use video review. For the vast majority of the time, correctly and overturn calls that are so, so would you say that NFL, NFL officials are told to maybe not call that because it, maybe they maybe are it presents a maybe. better narrative or more drama. Maybe they get a call from because you the have office. to remember you have to remember offensive pass or defensive pass interference and in offense just results in a uh, free first down. In the NFL, it's at the spot of the foul. Right, it's, it's a spot foul, right? So maybe they don't call it because you're just giving. I mean, you know, the yeah. that rule itself is not. Maybe so, but that you're asking me to call a call where players have been chippy and talking smack all game, just so that way another team can get 15 yards because this dude touched him with his hand. I mean, if they wrap their hands around them and are dragging them down and impeding their ability From to what even I saw on the DeAndre reach Hopkins for the ball, video, it looked as though DeAndre Hopkins slowed down to catch the ball, and the defender was using his momentum to run into him. But he was wrapping his arms around him. But he you know, he was going up to deflect the ball. He was not going up in any way. He was not going up. That that's wrong. I'm sorry. He, I can I can see why you feel that way about those other things you said, but he was not going up in any ca- way. If you catch the ball in the cradle, how is how is it illegal for the defender to come around? Because he's there before the ball, the ball is, and keeping you from being able to make a play on the ball. Andrew Hopkins still had his hands in the air. He wasn't able to reach for the ball. How? Because <laughs> I just showed you. I showed you the video. He wasn't. I, I he was did being not see, dragged I saw him down. Slow down. The Ravens cornerback and turn to catch the ball, and the ball was overthrown. The Ravens defensive back had his arms wrapped around DeAndre Hopkins' waist. Once DeAndre Hopkins slowed down, there is no way for you to be able to accelerate or any way when somebody is holding you back. So he interfered with the catch. Slow down on his own to catch the ball. If you watch the ball, if he slowed it's down, the ball was overthrown. That doesn't check out. Why would you slow down? Then the ball's overthrown. I, mean, I guess you could say he misjudged it. That's what I'm saying. But the point is, he misjudged where it was going to be because he outran the pass, and then the pass was also overthrown. He slowed down to jump. He jumps and turns. I don't think he does. But you know what? It's beside the point because it was called no pass interference after review for whatever reason. I hear your point. Two years ago, I do think that 98 percent is a little high for pass interference. I think calls that because there is there are a lot of pass interference calls. That you see and you think, okay, surely something is going on. Mm-hmm. But at the, and then same the and time... And then they threw out the rule after that season. So okay, they so, no so, longer have to do so, it. So I guess the, so refs, the refs' plan worked. That is, in my opinion, is we hate this rule. We are not doing this. 
and the NFL said, okay, well, there was no point to have this rule anyway because we couldn't get hardly ever an overturn on calls that were challenged for pass interference, so we're just not going to do it anymore. And they got what they wanted, so now they don't have to do it anymore. So it sounds like you think now it's more of a we don't want to call it because we don't like the rule versus we just don't want to admit we're wrong. I think it's both. Okay. I think it's no. My call, my, uh, my call on the field was right because I'm right, and – I don't want to admit that I'm wrong or I don't like the rule that I have to review this, so I'm just going to go ahead I mean, and say a lot of the call is upheld because that just circles back to, for me, just circles back again. What is the point of having video review if when you use that video review and see clear evidence that proves your call in the field was incorrect, why would you not cha- then change the call? Because that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. So you, have, could, you could say the same thing about the Auburn-Mississippi State game in 2018. Yeah, and I could. And that is an example there's of There's a clear picture incorrect. of the quarterback yeah. with the ball. His whole back and shoulder are to the goal, and the ball's on the other side, and he is down at the half-yard line, and they still ruled it a touchdown. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good example of failing to make the right call, they which also kind of ties, in my opinion, in that I think for the most part, as much as they frustrate me and drive me crazy, that college officials have been doing a better job than pro officials when – it comes to reviewing calls. I mean, I mean they also. I mean, because I think and, for the most not part, just rules, but they let a lot of a lot of other stuff slide in the NFL too. Like, I mean, what else do they let stuff slide? physicality and all that stuff slide? Yeah, but I mean, there's not really. But also, rules I mean, if you look at if you not, look at college versus NBA, I don't know. I think college rules are a little bit tighter than it than NFL and NBA rules. Eh, it depends. Different standards. They're a little different. Like, for example, in the NFL, you have to get two feet in on a catch. You only have to get one in college. Which I think is a good rule. I think it is because you're supposed to be the best of the best. You should be able to get two feet in. I, right? I agree on that. But and I, pass and interference is, is a spot foul in the pros. Which I don't agree on why in the NBA they get shortcuts, like three steps. When we right. All that, know, when we all yeah. know they really only need one or yeah, two. Yeah, they don't need three steps, and they don't need to advance the ball with five seconds left exactly. to the they half need court. To advance the ball. And which I, in I, really so, two-thirds court, if you think about it, from where they usually inbound the ball. It's mm-hmm. more than half court. So They don't need that. College might. College might. I would Those see if, are, if you're going to have it at all, it should be in college. Yeah. I think it's a bad rule in general. But if you do have to have an advance now, the ball the rule at some of, level. For the sake of entertainment value, those rules might exist because maybe— That's what maybe, it is. It's so they can get a big ending. Maybe— in that or if you have the three-step rule because some dunks you have to be able to pick up your dribble earlier and be able to throw it down harder. I mean, I don't know what the correlation is, but I do find if, some, if that's some the kids case, in I would high say school you're that I pro. knew were dunking only because they could run and jump without dribbling from the three-point line versus dribbling two dribbles and then going up off two feet. They're not the best of the best. But, that, but that's what yeah, I'm saying. I know. I, some dunks I what you're saying is like to that be able shouldn't... to perform them require less dribbling. That's what the duck con- dunk contest is for, in my I, opinion. But yeah, I, I see the logic. I'm just saying. Yeah. That no, I, I get what you're it's saying. It's for I'm entertainment just... value, and maybe that's why they don't call pass interference. But two to generate of the controversy time. because controversy gets people watching. Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Maybe there is a is a point there. But all right, we've spent about 20 minutes talking about that, so I think it's high time that we go ahead and move on if you enjoyed that let us know in the comments on our twitter page or send us messages with, with your opinions is there an officiating problem in sports pro or college with examples and yeah. videos please yeah that'd be awesome too because it would it would help either of our arguments so yeah uh so now we'll go ahead and move to the uh well no we want to talk about the masters just for a second just kind of recap uh hideki matsuyama 
won, uh, won the Masters, became the first Japanese player to win the Masters tournament. So congratulations to him. He did really well there on the second to last day to capture the lead. And he, he almost blew it. He only won by uh, one stroke on uh, Sunday. So yeah, he, he had a bit of a rough day the bunker, there. I think, too, on that last hole. Yeah, so he came very close, but he ended up winning. So all the congratulations in the world to him. He's kind of an up-and-comer in golf right now, I feel like. and He's been, I mean, he was there in 2011. That's right. So maybe not up-and-comer is the wrong way. That shows you how much golf I watch. <laughs> but I think that, was this his first major ever? I think it may have been. Yeah, I think yeah. It, I think he was. He earned some amateur title or something yeah. and then has now gone on to win the Masters. Right. Was he a betting favorite? Was he even mentioned? I don't think so. He may have been at the bottom of the list if he was. Somebody might have made a lot of money. Somebody might have. I'm sure some people did. Yeah, and I, I love that video of his caddy uh, putting the pin back on uh, 18 and then bowing to the course. That was a really cool uh, shot because it was just kind of because that's just kind of how Japanese culture is, right? It's all this respect and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, congratulations to him. Pretty great tournament. Came down to the wire after the one in November was just dominated from start to finish by Dustin Johnson. So much better than <laughs> who didn't even make the first cut. Yeah, he missed the cut. If unless I am mistaken, he missed the cut. Mm. Yeah, so now uh, moving over to the NFL, just interesting stuff happening so far this week. Uh, first thing I got, uh, Julian Edelman has retired. Uh, his contract was terminated on Monday after a failed physical, which is kind of interesting. I think you know last season he only played in six games because he had a really bad chronic knee injury. Yeah, I so I wonder say, if that I, had I something to do with it. I heard, I read that it was more about the knee injury thing that they didn't think that he was going to be able to. Right. Well, no, like he did. They said that he did fail the physical exam. Yeah. Right. So it's like it may have been because of it may have been because of the knee. It seems like that would check out. But Edelman spent <laughs> twelve years uh, with the Patriots. That was his whole career was just with one team. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his career, he is a second all time in postseason receptions with one hundred eighteen catches. He's behind only Jerry Rice in the all time record bo- record books for. Mm-hmm. Uh, postseason catches and second in Patriots history for total receptions. I think so. Pretty good career. Yeah, pretty if good. He doesn't um, choose to join Gronk and Brady. And <laughs> Maybe they'll uh, inject him with something. It'll give him like a metal knee or something. Like a oh, I was Wolverine. Say some PEDs. I, I hear he has a guy. That too. <laughs> yeah, I would think. I would think it's over for him. I mean, because twelve year career, you got to think about. It. He's probably thirty five. That's. It's been working for Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah, but Tom Brady is a freak of nature. <laughs> and also, he doesn't have to run around a whole lot. He he takes a snap and drops back and then throws it. Like That's why that's why quarterbacks <laughs> last so much longer. I was watching some Julie, so somebody posted Julian Edelman highlights on their like, sports page. It might have been Sports Center, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the the time where they hiked, where they had that play where Julian Edelman rolled back around. It was the Philly special to Tom Brady, and he threw it to Tom Brady, and Tom Brady got tripped up by the turf monster short of a first down. Mm-hmm. And for <laughs> for a reception, I was just I was just laughing. I thought I'd poke a little fun there, yeah. but because you know uh, Julian Edelman was a quarterback at Kent State yeah. until the uh, the Patriots they drafted yeah. him in the seventh round and converted him to a receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another great pick by uh, by Bill Belichick, <laughs> the Patriot way. So yeah, end of a pretty pretty illustrious career. I mean, three time Super Bowl champion. He won the MVP in one of those. Don't think. Uh, he should be considered for the Hall of Fame in any way, just because I don't. I think he was tremendously helped out by certain players, and I mean, I don't know. Now it feels weird to say that, but I don't. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he should be absolutely celebrated. Deserves that. 
Um, if you think if you, somebody out there thinks Julian Edelman should be in the Hall of Fame someday, sound off on us. I mean, I just don't think second all time in postseason receptions is a kind yeah of, kind of a big stat because you think about how it many is, postseasons but, you have to go to. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like there's a distinction now in the Hall of Fame where it seems like a lot of guys that have got in in recently it's re- becoming the Hall of Really Good, whereas instead of the Hall of Fame where it should be the best guys ever. Like Jerry Rice, for example, who and I don't think Edelman's stats have ever really been insane in single seasons and for multiple single seasons. It's just over so many years going to playoffs every single year, basically. I mean, yeah, you're going to build up receptions, which I guess is how Jerry Rice built up all those postseason receptions with going deep in the postseason every single year. Sure, I don't think I don't think Edelman's a Hall of Famer though. I think they're just they're different players. Jerry Rice is one of the best to ever play the game, and so the next thing in the NFL, kind of interesting. Thing here, three teams so far, unless more have jumped on the wagon since last night, have said that they will not appear for in-person voluntary workouts over the off-season. Those workouts are supposed to start next week, I think, where it's just kind of guys show up the facility and practices and OTAs and stuff like that. They've said they will not be doing that in large part due to COVID still being an issue right now. But also something that they said was, you know, it was a virtual off-season last year. Right, they didn't have mm-hmm. in-person workouts, and they're like, "Well, we did this virtual off-season last year, and our level of play was not damaged as a result. So we think it's better, in light of current circumstances, to continue to do that from home mm-hmm. and just meet with the team virtually and work out on our own in our own homes, and we'll still be in just as good of shape for mm-hmm. this upcoming season than we were for last season." So yeah, the Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers have. Uh, all made this decision. I would think that others will come to this decision in the next week with voluntary workouts starting on, let's see, the 19th is Monday. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if more join them. But I wonder if that's just something that's going to go away when COVID is largely an afterthought or if it, if it could be a new norm. I mean, do you think there's anything, Ethan, there where it could be like, well, in the future, now we're not really going to have many in-person workouts. I mean, do we just go straight back to that once this is not to jinx anything? I think over? that I think that building team camaraderie and being around guys and human interaction is kind of vital to building together a good organization, a good program. Yeah, I agree. So I think that you know, I, I go through a lot. I, I go through this a lot with working out and and did this a lot with running. But some days there are days where you need to be around people and you need to go hard and have a high intensity. And mm-hmm. really, sometimes you can only do that when you're around others who are going to push you and make you better and hold you accountable. And so, yeah, I think I, I don't. If there if there's ever a time where the NFL or a team just says we are no longer going to hold in person workouts and OTAs and you know that kind of stuff for good and that's permanent I will be staunchly against that because the a level of success cannot be maintained for very long when you're not around people that you're playing with maybe I mean I feel like those guys like I just said that kind of calls into question and like they they felt that their level of play was not impacted in 2020 now, now but yeah I'm not saying that you I don't only necessar- have to I don't necessarily agree or disagree I feel like I'm, I'm not of, I'm not saying that they had to only be in person or not in person I'm just saying that you know you need days where you're around people where you can get mm-hmm. in your sets where you can see how everybody's looking where you can push others and you can be vocal and, and build your organization right so you but think I'll, it would be a mistake to to only be yeah. in person and, and, and that's what I'm saying I'm not saying that 
you can't have you know a day or two out of your week where hey we're just going to review some film on zoom no need to travel out here and waste gas mm-hmm. you know we'll talk we'll get together we'll you know shoot the breeze and, and and form a relationship over over a conference call but because you know there are days where you just need to take a rest mm-hmm. high intensity is, is only sustainable for so high and so you know, I go back and forth with it on my workouts. Like some days I come in, I'm feeling really beat up. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go about 75% effort today. Yeah. And then, you know, the next day I feel a little bit better. I'm like, hey, I'm going to kick it back up. Let's get it rolling. So I think that only over Zoom workouts and performing on your own, it, it, it can work, sure. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think that there is a certain level of performance that could be achieved at a great at a faster rate if people were together. if they're all together and yeah. building chemistry and stuff like that exactly yeah. and I, and, that, and that's what i meant by if they were yeah. if they were only on zoom i'd be against it because you know i i wouldn't have some good friends or, or good teammates if if cross country hadn't have been yeah. only by ourselves i right. hate like running by running myself around. yeah it is yeah. terrible <laughs> i mean i'll do it and and i can do it if I need to, it is terrible. But to, but to be able to run with a couple of guys and know you have a certain pace to hit on a certain day, mm-hmm. and you're kind of feeling a little queasy because you don't know if you can do it, but having three guys who are also going to be there suffering along with you, yeah, you know, you're going to hold yourself it's, accountable. It's, it's a camaraderie yourself. thing, yeah. So I think that yeah, only only in person is okay. Only over Zoom is not okay. Yeah, a good a good you. healthy mixture of both perhaps would that'd be an interesting thing to see. I got you, but yeah. This is my thoughts on it. Yeah, no, hey, good take. All right, and so the last thing we'll talk about today, just kind of an interesting little uh, prospect signing that I think everybody should keep their eye on as we go through workouts in the preseason, see if he makes 53-man roster. The Washington football team signed uh, Samus Reyes, a Chilean-born athlete, as a tight end. And here are some of his measurables and uh, stats from a workout. I believe he lives in Florida, so he worked out at the University of Florida's Pro Day, and apparently he has... He did like he didn't play football for Florida, so I'm not entirely sure how that worked. He was in some sort of program for the NFL, like international players, or something like that. Anyway, six foot six, two hundred and sixty pounds, so Cam Newton esque in size, yeah, a little bigger. Uh, Forty yard dash of four sixty five. What the the six six two fifty Cam Newton s just reminds me of that time Gary Danielson was like this guy's got Cam Newton size talking about Kellen Mond it's like six two. 215. I'm yeah. like, what? Dude. Bro. Cam Newton's way bigger. <laughs> and way better. Yeah. 465, 40-yard dash. Uh, he benched 225 31 times. 40-inch uh, vertical jump and 10-foot-5 broad jump. See, you know what I think? Going to the going to the, the, the 31 at 225 is impressive. I really wish that the actual stat was benching your body weight. Yeah. If, if they're going to bench press... Because like you have linemen who right here at three fifteen, like two twenty five is a warm up weight, right? And and so likely so. I mean, you should be hitting 30, 40 reps, but mm-hmm. how many reps can you do at three fifteen? That would be something to see, right? Or or you have a skinny quarterback like James Blackman coming in there who's six five one eighty, and you're like, yo, bro, can you bench press one eighty? Let's see that. Yeah. Instead of two twenty five, because like. I'm walking in. I, you know, I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the weakest guy, and I can only hit five reps at 225. I mean, I feel like, like if you're less than 225, you should have to do 225. But if you're more than that, it should be body weight. But another reason why it would be 225 is because they can get through it fast. They don't have to yeah shift add and take weight and, off. So that's why so they can be done really quickly. Everybody just lines up. But I think it would be bench. interesting to see somebody bench their body weight, and then I, I, I would think just because 180 is probably 
not if you're a professional football player is not a lot you know I would think I would think you would want to see them do at least 225 if they weigh less than that yeah but then if you're over that yeah. I wonder what I wonder if they took the median average of like the median weight of any person that was not considered a lineman or a, you know defensive right. back or something and just yeah. was like what is you know and then had that way so 190 205 maybe mm-hmm. and had that as the bench press weight for all the guys that because then all you gotta do is you know you just slap on the right you know so that, exactly yeah, yeah I, for it to or, be or push-ups how many three how many guys who are 320 on the line can do some push-ups yeah and how many can they do right yeah yeah which i guess that would favor the more lighter player but right but yeah i mean like that, that would just be cool to see something different besides 50 reps at 225 okay congrats you're 350 pounds yeah you could probably do that with one arm yeah i, I see the logic there for sure yeah, so Reyes is going to – I think it's a really good signing in the sense that he's going to a coach who has developed great tight ends before. I mean, Ron Rivera, remember, he had Greg Olson at Carolina mm-hmm. for a long time, and yeah. he was one of the best tight ends Ron, in the Ron game. Ron Rivera is a, is a decent coach. He is a decent coach. And, and I think another guy uh, at Washington uh, who had a breakout year last year uh, was Logan Thomas. He had a pretty good season overall. Mm. So it seems like it would be a good situation for this Reyes guy. If yeah. he's trying to break into the NFL, I mean, we'll see if he's able to make the 53-man roster. If he does, he would be the first Chilean-born uh, player to make an NFL roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all in all, I think it's a pretty good pickup for the football team. And that's probably all I'm going to say about that. And that wraps up this week of Rookie Mistake. We are out of awesome topics to talk about. <laughs> um, so... If you enjoyed this episode, guys, uh, go follow us on Twitter at Rookie Mistake PC or follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us now. Uh, Anchor is another one. That's the one that we that uh, hosts our service and distributes it. Mm-hmm. So any of that, that, that means a lot to us. And you can comment on our pages. I think I'll post a Twitter question here. Is like, do you think there's an officiating problem in sports? And hopefully a bunch of you guys will go check that out and respond to it but other than that we'll go ahead and see you guys next week this has been rookie mistake thanks for listening